I, over the, the last few weeks, uh, in various walks of my life, I, I wear several different hats and, and uh, have, have different connections in various places, and so uh, some you would know, some you don't, but uh, in, in my life over the last month or so, uh, there's been a lot of deaths that have taken place from in our church with, with Sister uh, Cheryl Jorgensen to some within the city of O'Fallon that I'm connected to. And then uh, yesterday morning, one of our uh, police chaplains, uh, a, a woman by the name of Joan Schnorbush, she is a, a Catholic sister, lives here in, in the, the convent next to city council. And yesterday they found her uh, uh, she had passed away there at the convent, very unexpected, and uh, still trying to kind of figure out what was up. And, and when you have those moments in which death touches your life, it invariably causes you to reflect, causes you to think for a moment. And, and while I'm not at all going to preach a, a sad message by any stretch of imagination, you have to know where I'm coming from. Uh, just And again, some of you will know this name, others uh, may have not, but has been a great voice in the life of, of, of my family uh, from really the beginning of, of, of my, my dad when he was born and through the ministry there. But Brother T.F. Tenney passed away this last week, a statesman of apostolic faith. Um, so many things that we uh, do today is, is due to the hands of, uh, of various, uh, he, he served as our general uh, youth director uh, many years ago, and he served as our what it was then called foreign missions director. He served for over thirty years as the uh, district superintendent of the state of Louisiana. Just an incredible, incredible man. And I'm going to quote a quote from him. He had a lot of quotes, uh, and so it was very easy to come up with. But I'm going to say a quote from him uh, a little bit later on. But uh, you, you begin to think about that. And if you could, if you'll turn in your Bibles, like I had asked, to the book of Numbers, chapter 23. Let's start in verse 7. I want to read to you something that a man by the name of Balaam said. And we're going to pull from the end of this diatribe. From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, Moab from the eastern mountains. Come and curse Jacob for me. Come and denounce Israel. For how can I curse whom God has not cursed, and how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? But from the top of the crags I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone, not counting itself among the nations. Who can number the dust of Jacob, or number even the fourth part of Israel? And then he makes this statement. Let me die the death. Of the upright, or if you are reading in the King James, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my end be like his. And there has been different uh, sermons for funerals that have used this, the death of the righteous. And, 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 uh, but I, I begin to think about that. Let me die the death of the upright. I think that's an a admirable goal. I believe that is a, a good thing to, to ask, a good thing to desire. So my question to you that I pose today and we will get into is simply this. How well will you die? How well will you die? Maybe 
seems to be a kind of a morbid thought. I hope none of you have uh, thoughts yet of dying. I prefer you, you know, I, I know people that, that plan their funeral in so much that they went and tried the casket out. They got in it, made sure it fit. I don't do that. I think there's probably some good things and you would save your family some grief if you would do a little pre-planning. But I can tell you right now I'm not planning to die, so to speak. But the question must be asked of you and I, how well will you die? And my, my answer is this. If you want to die the death of the righteous, you must live the life of the righteous. So how well you die will be determined by how, how well you lived. Would you bow your heads and would you pray, Father, I'm asking right now that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds. I pray, God, that you would minister as the Word of God, your Word, your true and living Word goes forth. And Lord, would you help us to live so that when we die, everything will be right. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. One of the quotes of Brother Tinney was, he, he made this statement. If you want to meet God in peace tomorrow, then you must live with God in peace today. One of, I have some pet peeves. There are some things that just drive me crazy. And one of the things is whenever someone passes away, and it's usually a celebrity or someone that none of us know, but we kind of think we know them because we watch them play a sport or you know they played in some movie or they sung some song. And it drives me crazy when somebody dies and everybody says, rest in peace. I'm not going to necessarily judge them into heaven and hell because I was not there when they died. I have no idea what uh, uh, they did at the end of their life. But I will tell you this, when I look at the lyrics of some of our singers and songwriters and, and I, I read about all of the drinking and fornicating and rape and hate and, and racism that they want to sing about, it's really hard for me to say rest in peace. Because if you didn't live with God in peace now, you ain't going to rest with God in peace then. And, and so I, I think it's important that you and I realize that Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. God got aggravated at Israel uh, during, uh, well he got aggravated at Israel a lot. But there was one particular time uh, around the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 that, that God kind of said, I'm going to hide my face from God, or I'm going to hide my face from them and let me see what their end will be. It's the same thing that you and I as parents, we say to children, fine, go ahead and do it. I told you no, go ahead and do it. And then we give that wonderful dad or mom speech. And if you get hurt, don't come crying to me. Anybody ever said that? I watched a, a, a YouTube video. You know, of course, everything's videoed now. But this little girl is, is wanting to eat. And, and she keeps saying, I want to eat this apple. But it's not an apple. It's an or, it's a, 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 a onion. And the mom is on camera saying, you don't want to eat that. That's an onion. And the little toddler says, no, it's not. It's an apple. And it goes on and on. And finally the mom says, fine, eat the apple. And then the face that this little girl makes as she bites into that onion. And sometimes God, I have a feeling he just wants to sit back and say, fine, do it your way. Let's see where you end up. Let's see what you're going to get at the end of your life. 
And so the question is, we know that it's appointed once unto every man and every woman to die. That is something that is, uh, I forget which one of our founding fathers said it, but they said there's some things in life that are pretty absolute, death and taxes. And again, while I'm not planning on dying, I don't have a date picked out. I haven't, you know, etched it out on some gravestone and say this is what I'm looking forward to. I don't operate like that. But I must understand that death is not the final place I am. There is an eternity. And it's hard for you and I to wrap our minds around the concept of eternity. I, I, do, I, I do, it blows my mind, the older I get, the faster time goes. When I was a kid, Christmas came every five years. Now that I'm adult, Christmas comes every five months, it seems. I mean, we're, we're into June. If you have any kids, you know that June and July go forth like that and then they're back into school. And then you're looking at Labor Day. And then you're looking at, at my birthday in October and, and don't forget it. And then you're looking into Thanksgiving and pretty soon, actually long before Thanksgiving, even before our fall festival, before uh, Halloween is celebrated by the heathens, if you will, uh, we'll start singing Christmas carols. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around eternity. But I'm telling you, there is an eternity coming. What will your final end be? Balaam is an interesting study in Scripture. I don't have time to go through it all, and, 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 but, but, but he, he's mentioned many times. In fact, not only is he mentioned in, and fleshes out a story pretty well, but he's mentioned in three separate uh, New Testament books. Balaam was a, a, this is the best way I can describe it, he was a pagan sorcerer and and somewhere in his sorcery and in his divination he uh, was able to be sensitive enough to the voice of God and so it was that when the, the children of Israel were spending their time in the wilderness waiting until God released them to go into Canaan's land they entered into Moab's territory and there the king of Moab whose name was Balak began to look out on this great crowd. You can imagine there were probably over a million, maybe even two million or three million, some commentators would say, camped about. It would, as far as you could see, there were Israelites camping there. And, and, and if there were trees, they were being cut down for firewood. They were uh, maybe even drinking water holes dry. And Balak looked and said, I can't let them be in my kingdom. But Balak knew that God was with them. And so Balak said, I can't defeat them on my own, but I wonder if I could go get this sorcerer named Balaam and let him curse the children of Israel. And then after they've been cursed, perhaps it would be easier for the, the children of Moab to, uh, you know, attack them. And so Balak got a, a procession together, got some wealth and some treasure and went to Balaam's house and said, with, with this, this uh, delegation, if you will. And they came to Balaam's house and they said, Balaam, we want to give you this money for you to curse the children of Israel. Balaam said, well, give me a moment. Now, here's the thing that I want to caution you when you read the story of Balaam. There are some things in Balaam's story that sound good, Sister Stacy. He makes statements like, let me go inquire of God. But if you'll study it out, 
you'll find that he wasn't really praying, if you will, to the one true God. He was divining. He was divinations. He would rattle the animal bones and he would look at the entrails and he wanted to see, is this what I should do? But as God has been known to do, his ways are not your ways. Sometimes God answers in ways we never even dreamed he'd answer. And to a pagan sorcerer that was doing all of his incantations, God showed up and said, you will not curse those that I've blessed. And so Balaam came back and said, I can't do it. I divined. I, I did my divination. I inquired. And God said, I cannot curse, so I will not. They went away. Balak, the king of Moab, sent more men, even more wealth, even more treasure. And that covetousness, greed, began to eat away at Balaam. They came back and Balaam said, oh, let me, let me, let me, let me pray. Let me scatter some animal bones. Let me see what the, the tides say. God said, don't do it. And Balaam begged, oh God, I, you, you see this money, it's kind of hard to give it up. Maybe there's something I can do where I can satisfy Balak, the king of Moab, and get this money. And God said, all right. If they come and they knock on your door tomorrow, then I'm going to let you go with them. As soon as Balaam heard that, he saddled up his donkey and he got up and he left. And if you read there in, in the book of, of Numbers, chapter uh, 20, 22, it's, or verse 21, and Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. And verse 22 says, but God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord stood in his way. And I asked my question, if you looked at my Bible right now, I wrote a question mark because I didn't understand it. Why did God say go and then get mad when he went? It's because God said if they come, but Balaam didn't even wait until they came. He was so ready to get the hold of that money. And he's going... And the angel of the Lord stands in his way and he's riding that donkey. And this is the story that most are familiar when it comes to Balaam. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Balaam did not. For as much as Balaam had inquired of the Lord, and those that can't see, you know, it's finger quotes. As much as he had inquired of the Lord, he still couldn't see the things of God. And so the donkey turned aside and went into the field. And Balaam hit the donkey, turned her back in. There was vineyards and there was the road passed between two walls. It was a tight road. And the angel of the Lord stood and so that the, the, the donkey couldn't pass. And it tried to get and it smashed Balaam's foot up against the wall. And Balaam struck, struck the donkey again. Finally, there was a place in which the donkey could not turn or go around. And it was that when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she just laid down and probably crushed, if you will, or pinched Balaam's feet under him. Balaam got so mad he beat tar to that donkey. And that donkey turned around and said, Why are you hitting me? What am I doing? Can't you see the big dude in front of me? And God opened the eyes of Balaam so that he could see and he fell on his face and he repented I use that word very loosely because all throughout the pages of the Bible you'll find those that go, go look at the story of a, a Pharaoh and the ten plagues a plague comes and Pharaoh says oh I'm so sorry I, I can't believe I did that I'll let your people go just take the frogs away God takes the frogs away and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would would go back. Balaam was the same way. 
But there's this statement that God makes in, 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 for, for Balaam, and it's found there in Numbers chapter 22. And it says, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse against me. One of the ways to understand that phrase perverse is your way is reckless. And God said, Balaam, I've come to try to stop you because the road that you're traveling down is going to affect the end of your life. It is a reckless time. There were three times. The first time, uh, 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 Balaam got up and he was going to curse Israel. But God put a blessing in Balaam's mouth. And then it made Balak, the king of Moab, so mad that he said, let's get a different perspective. Let's come over here to this mountain. And, and, and maybe you, you can curse them. And the second time, Balaam opens his mouth and God in turn gives a blessing. And finally, Balaam, Balak says, Balaam, why don't you come over here where you can't even hardly see him? And let's see if you can curse. And he could not do that either. It blows my mind that Balaam heard from the voice of God. That even God's word went through Balaam. And if you were to read, it seems like as you, as you get to the end of the story, uh, there at the end of chapter 24, after that third oracle that Balaam gave, it says this. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. And it seems like, man, Balaam did pretty good. But then you start reading in the New Testament. You read in, in 2 uh, uh, Timothy. You read in 2 Timothy about the, uh, let's see, I have it here. The way of Balaam, 2 Peter, the way of Balaam. In the book of Jude, verse 11, the error of Balaam. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, the doctrine of Balaam. But in order to understand what happened to Balaam, you're going to have to flip over a few pages. You're going to have to flip over to Numbers chapter 31. And in Numbers chapter 31, you find the end of Balaam. It says, they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. The key to Balaam's life was this. As you begin to read through it, as you begin to look through it, you find that he got his money. And you find that he had decided that since God won't let me curse the Israelites, and I can't help you, Balak, by cursing them, I got a way around God that will help. And Balaam said, why don't you try to be neighborly? Say, let's have a party. Let's all gather over here on this mountain. And, and you know, really, I, I mean, we're really brothers, if you will. I mean, you got to go all the way back to, 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 to you know, Abraham and, and Isaac. And, you know, we're, we're all brothers, Moab, Israel. We're all the same. Let's just kind of hang out. And they begin to Israel fall, fell prey to that. And Israel got around them. And Israel was seduced by the prophets and the worship of Baal. And you find in chapter 25 of Numbers the first record of Israel worshiping Baal. And it became something that dogged Israel uh, 
for the, almost the entirety of the Old Testament. And Balaam's end was that he didn't profit from God speaking through him. He didn't, he didn't profit from God using him. Yes, he had some gifts. And yes, he had some callings. But even though he prayed, let me die the death of the righteous, it was the exact opposite. He died the death of the ungodly. I could take you to Judas, one of those 12 disciples of Jesus. One that heard of Jesus and saw Jesus perform miracles and even probably himself preached the gospel and even himself performed miracles. Was fascinated that the spirits were subject to them as disciples, but yet he wasn't saved. It blows my mind that you can get to the place where you can walk with God and yet still be lost. In doing so, I would have to, to, to remind you of the things that Jesus said. And I want to take you to the book of Matthew. Look at the book of Matthew. I believe it's chapter 7. It's not enough just to look at Balaam's life. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus, uh, it would help, Brandon, if you would turn to Matthew 7, not Mark. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus says in verse 21, And not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many works, mighty works in your name? And I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you want to die the death of the righteous, you have to live the death, or you have to live the life of the righteous. In the book of First uh, uh, Samuel, you find a couple things that happen. You find that, that, that Eli was the high priest. Eli had two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, and they were priests in the house of God. You find that, that one of the, the, the things that a priest could do is when people would bring a sacrifice to the Lord, Part of it would be boiled in this big pot. And there was a three-pronged fork that the, uh, the, the, the priest could use and dip into that boiling cauldron of meat. And whatever would stick to that three-pronged fork, they could eat that day. And it was a kind of a reminder that God shall supply your needs. But you don't have to be greedy. Just get what you need. But Hopni and Phineas, priests of the house of God, their, their dad was the high priest, and it should have fallen to one of them to become the high priest. They didn't like that rule. Because when they would dip that fork in there, you know, they didn't always get what they wanted. And so they began to go to those that were coming into the tabernacle. And they would say, I know you're bringing this, and, and you're going to sacrifice, and it's going to go in the pot, but before you put it in the pot, let me look on it. And they started selecting the tenderloin, the T-bone steaks. They started collecting and, and saying, I want the filet mignon. You can put all the rest of it in there. And the people would say, oh, oh, that's not what the word of God said to do. And they said, but we're priests. And if you don't do it, we'll take it from you. And they begin to steal from God. 
as the story begins to progress at the beginning of 1 Samuel, you find that the Philistines began to defeat the children of Israel. And so Hophni and Phinehas said, I know how we can win. And they went behind the holiest of holies and they picked up the Ark of the Covenant and they said, let's carry it into battle. And if we carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle, then God will go before us. It worked in the past. And so I know as long as we have the Ark of the Covenant, everything will work. And you find that Israel was soundly defeated and Hopni and Phinehas died and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and placed in the house of Dagon, the God of the Philistines. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot use the power of God if you don't have a relationship with God. God says that golden place is just symbolic of my present. That Ark of the Covenant doesn't have any power on its own. It's not some magical talisman. It's not some relic that you can carry in. It depends how you live is going to be whether I hear your cry or not. If you want to die the death of the righteous, you have to live the life of the righteous. You're introduced to the book, to, to, the, to the story, the man called Demas in Colossians and 2 Timothy and even Philemon. We don't know much about, about Demas, but we know that he worked with Paul and he, he, he went on some of Paul's missionary journeys. He was a preacher of the gospel. Maybe even had suffered some imprisonment along with Paul. But it simply says this, the, the epitaph of, of, of Demas was, Demas has forsaken me. Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. A preacher of the gospel used mightily. And I'm sure he believed the gospel. I'm sure he had been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He'd even been baptized in the name of our Lord. He probably was a scholar of the scriptures. But the problem is his end was necessitated by his life. A friend of the world became an enemy of God. But Paul says it differently. Paul says... I've learned this. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I'm ready to be poured out. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And Paul says, because of this, there's a reward laid up for me in heaven. I can die the death of the righteous because I lived the life of of the righteous. Paul would say stuff like this. For me to die is gain. To be absent from the body in death is to be present with the Lord. He made statements like, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Psalm 116 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. I ask you today, and, and, and I realize this is a pretty open ending, ending a, 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 a verse, you know, Sermon. There's a lot of times I get very detailed, get very specific, and I mean I'm, I'm giving you you know things that are very narrow. But today I'm, I'm purposely leaving it open. How are you living? 
can't, you can't, you can't get to the end of your life and hope everybody throws up on your Facebook wall when you've departed from the earth. Ah, rest in peace, Brandon. Good to see you in heaven. Can't wait to see you. I've stood in those pew shoes. I've had loved ones that I love that died, and 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 I know what it's like to 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 in my mind know they didn't live the life that would have led them to a lot to to a death of righteousness. I understand what it's like. It's hard to tell someone whose whose grandmother just passed away, and 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 you you kind of want to just help them out. But I'm here to tell you the truth is simple: you don't die the death of the righteous unless you've lived the life of the righteous. That's the judgment. That will happen. You're not judged by your death. You're judged by your life. And in your life, there's a scale. And only the impartation of righteousness that comes through the salvation of Jesus Christ can tip that scale in your favor. John Knox, great reformer of Scotland, they said was lay dying. Death was so imminent he could no longer speak. And and his servant or, or you know one of the people that attended to him asked him said if the gospel you preached is your only comfort in death, then give proof to it by raising your hand toward heaven. And as they say, John Knox immediately raised his hand, not once, not twice, but three times. And he was making this statement. The gospel I preached, and I'm not here to debate his doctrine. I'm just using this as a a story. He was saying the gospel I preached is what's going to determine my end. The life that you and I have, whether it's 40 years or 95 years, or 105 years the Bible says it's just a vapor it's just and gone so my question is this how are you going to live now so that you can determine your eternity don't fix your eyes on what is seen Don't be a Demas that gets in love with this world. Don't be a Balaam that gets in love with the treasures of this world. Don't be a a, a hop nine Phineas that think you can manipulate God. Live however you want to and then whenever you get into a lurch you can kind of grab the ark and walk out into it. It doesn't work like that. What works is are your eyes on what is unseen. Don't focus on the temporary, but focus on the eternal. Jesus said, except the man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the removal of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what matters. So how do you live your life today? We'll determine whether or not you can pray as Balaam prayed, Lord, I want to die the death of the righteous. And I quote again from Brother Tenney, if you want to meet God in peace tomorrow, you got to live with God in peace today. 
Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged for the manner of judgment that you use. The yardstick, the ruler, the scale that you use to judge is going to be turned around and used on you. That does not say don't judge at all. It says be careful. My, my wife has always said I'm careful. She says she's careful to not judge the kids, the babies, and the toddlers of others because our kids might be worse than them at the grocery store when we tell them no to the candy and they throw themselves on the floor. So we have a little bit of grace when it comes to other people's kids because I want that same grace to be applied to my kids. I got a lot of grace for those that walk through life and sometimes slip and fall because I've experienced my own slips and fall and I want the grace to be applied back to me. That being said, I can judge a person's eternity on the life that they lived. I may not be able to completely judge it because I, I'm not with them 24 hours a day and, and I have no idea what they may have done at the end of their life. And, and I am one of those that believes there are things and times that people at the end of their life make themselves right with God and their end perhaps is greater than their beginning. Paul, when he said, I, I, I've lived the life of the righteous, Paul didn't deny he had done a lot of bad things. He, he was an adult before God saved him. And so God is not, God doesn't look at the whole life. You know, if you live 90 years and you were saved for, you know, 25 of those years, God doesn't say, well, you were lost for more years than you were saved. I guess you can't go to heaven. That's not how God works. The, the parable, the story of the one who went out and hired workers in the vineyard and got up early in the morning and he hired them and he said, I'm going to give you this wage. I'll, I'll pay you $100 a day. And then halfway through the day, it needed more workers and he went out to the job corps and he said, I, I need some more workers. I'll give you $100 for half a day's work. And it still wasn't done. And at the end of the day, he went to the place and he said, I need some more workers. I'll give you $100 if you'll come work the last couple of hours. He was telling us that salvation whether you get it as a child, whether you get it as a young person, as a middle-aged, or as a senior citizen, that salvation is going to be real. It's where you end up. But it's going to be judged on the life. So I'm asking you one more time. I'm asking that God is, and I, and I believe God's Word does this as we preach. Sometimes it may not be deep, but you say it enough times that God begins to knock on the, the door of your heart and He begins to say, hey, how you living? How you living? I don't know when tomorrow comes. I don't know when I take my last breath. I don't know when the trumpet sounds and God calls us home. I don't know when that judgment seat is opened up and God's courtroom is called into session. I don't know when that's going to be. So my responsibility is this. I live with God in peace today so I can meet God in peace tomorrow. Would you stand? I wonder if you'd close your eyes. And I wonder if you would talk to the Lord. I've, I've preached His Word. But now, if you will, the ball is in your court. What are you going to do with it? It's your serve. You, it, it's time for you to, to do something with it. What are you going to do? And I pray right now that God would begin to speak as our musicians begin to play and sing. I'm open these altars. I'm going to hallow this sanctuary for you to find a place to pray. 
And I want you to examine your life. God, am I living a life of righteousness so that I can die a death of the righteous? Don't let me be Balaam. Don't let me handle the gospel. Don't let me be a, uh, uh, don't, don't, don't let me hear the words of God. Don't let me be in your presence, but ultimately be lost because I got sidetracked by the things of this world and by the temporary wealth of this world. God, my eternity was dictated by the way I live. God, help me, I pray. Let me be in your presence right now. In the name of Jesus.